0: Welcome to The Daily Standard Podcast. It's February 23rd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by a familiar voice, the founder of The Weekly Standard, Bill Kristol. How are you today, Bill? I'm fine, Charlie. How are you? Good. Well, you uh, were following the president's speech at CPAC. I saw you tweeted out earlier, um, is it beyond the realm of possibility that Donald Trump at CPAC today will speak as president and not as a demagogue? So we have the verdict in now. What did you think of the speech?
1: You know, it's not quite over as we speak, and I haven't seen every sentence he said in and out a little bit. But no, it's more you know, feeding red meat to his base and uh, taunting Hillary Clinton, ta- uh, c- criticizing John McCain, maybe not in the best taste given McCain's current circumstances. And I don't see much of an attempt to elevate, you know. And I, I do think we obviously have an extremely heated politics right now. I'm in a kind of culture war that I think everyone pretty much would agree, well, not everyone, almost everyone would agree is unhealthy and should be damped down. I think a normal president, uh, really any of our last presidents, probably if he's speaking to his most rabid supporters, would have had at least a couple of sentences, grace sentences, you might call them, where he urged everyone to calm down, to listen to your critics or, your, or those who disagree with you, to be civil in our discourse, just that kind of stuff. Would it make a huge difference? No. No maybe not, but it's something a president should try to do when speaking to his most worked up and overheated supporters. It's something yep. he can do. And that's something that Donald Trump seems not to, it doesn't even occur to him that he might do that, you know?
0: Well, let's shift the focus from uh, from the podium to the audience. Uh, th- th- this CPAC seemed to underline um, the, the ongoing Trumpification of the conservative movement. He's speaking to an adoring crowd uh, that... Uh, you know, applauded virtually every one of his his standard stump lines. This is really Donald Trump's conservative movement right now. I mean, in, in, you know, you you wrote about this a little bit earlier, uh, quoting Rick uh, Brookheiser, concluding the conservative movement is no more. It's destroyers or Donald Trump and his admirers. And that was really on display at CPAC today, wasn't it?
1: I think it was today. And of course, yesterday with uh, Marion Le- Le- Le Pen and uh, the general tone of a kind of national populist, nativist, uh, event and and not much discussion of conservative ideas and an awful lot of discussion of uh, conservative. If you still want to use that term, uh, tribalism. I mean, the speech by by Wayne Lapierre seemed like the most indicative of that. You know, just it really part a large chunk of it, just calling out. The enemies, I guess one would call them, not just the opponents, but the enemies of what he takes to be, you know, uh, the movement that is represented at CPAC, which is sort of not just pro-gun rights, which conservatives have often have always been really a little skeptical of some of the gun control policies but a kind of you know, fetishistic attachment to uh, guns as, as sort of an emblem of this side of the cultural divide. Trump referred today, don't let them take away your, your Second Amendment. I thought that was very interesting. This, your Second Amendment, as if it belongs to one part of the country, and now it is true that some people care more about it than others, as some people care more about the First Amendment or the Fifth Amendment or others uh, than others, but it is the Constitution's Second
0: Amendment. Well, you and I have both uh, obviously been critics of Donald Trump, but I want to take a step back because there's 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 something more going on here. I, I I feel like you know those of us who have not gotten gotten uh, gotten on board are experiencing something more than just simply disillusionment with with Donald Trump. There's a and you tell me whether you agree with this a, a, a crisis of knowledge. You know. How do we know what's true who do we believe anymore a, a, a crisis of faith you know c- could we be wrong about things that we took for granted so you know, it's one thing to be critical of trump you know the man the, the the president but but are you finding yourself rethinking other things as well sure i mean i think if trump is such a big again let's leave aside
1: even our judgment of him just analytically he's such a big phenomenon. His victory was the 45% of the vote in the Republican primaries that he got and the 45% of the vote in the Democratic primaries that Bernie Sanders got. You'd have to be kind of foolish not to step back and say, well, whoa, what kind of moment are we at in American politics? Why are people so disillusioned with the elites of both parties, with the establishment uh, in Washington? Are they right in some respects? And they are to be disillusioned. But are the uh, are the alternatives or the solutions they're being offered healthy for the country i'd say no in both the Trump and Sanders case. so yeah, and then do you rethink conservatism a little bit how what what in it made it open to this kind of hostile takeover by Trump and by a kind of national populist nativism. Uh, Were there problems there that some of us sloughed over a little bit? I think the answer there is yes. But was there a conservative tradition? Is there a conservative tradition that was right about a lot of things and is right about a lot of things and deserves to be defended?
0: I would say yes to that too. Well, you know that if Hugh Hewitt was sitting here with us right now, he would be saying, "Oh, come on, guys! Look, uh, wh- why can't you take yes for an answer? This president turned out to be much more conservative uh, than we thought. We have uh, we have Neil Gorsuch. You have the regulatory reform. You have tax uh, tax reform. Uh, the American uh, embassy is moving to Jerusalem. Why can't you acknowledge?" uh you too uh, that in fact this has been a successful presidency why can't you acknowledge that in fact uh D- Donald Donald Trump uh, did not live up to to the worst expectations that you guys had what why haven't you been able to make your peace with that Bill Crystal
1: well some of the individual actions are fine There, some of them are conservative some of them which is fine good for the country in general and I've supported those and defended those and I in some ways wish he would be more energetic and uh, comprehensive in his follow-through in, let's say, rejecting the Iran deal, which I was a strong opponent of, the Weekly Standard was, obviously, but which now requires a real policy to get beyond. Instead, he says he's against it, but he hasn't done much. So, But look, policy by policy, obviously, one should go through them, praise them, criticize them, debate them. I think that whole attitude of, though, why can't you guys kind of get on board, just ignores the overall thrust of the Trump presidency and its effect on our general political culture and on conservatism and the Republican Party. And that we see on display yesterday and today at CPAC, where if, if we do not, I do not want a conservative party that is in the image of Trump, in terms of its nationalism, its nativism, its hostility to various groups, its 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 turning of political debate into sort of denigration of all ones, uh, everyone one disagrees with. I don't want to be part of Wayne Lapierre's conservatism, and in that respect, Trump is having a big effect. The NRA, I'm old enough to remember, was a group that was controversial but was bipartisan, supported any congressmen or senators who defended what they saw as gun rights, was willing at times to compromise, and made actual arguments about why gun control might not work and why guns would help people defend themselves. And a lot of those arguments, incidentally, I think have some merit. And now it is pure uh, kind of uh, tribalistic politics uh, with the kind of fetishization, really, of guns and uh, use of them as part of the culture war. That is just not healthy for the country, I don't think.
0: At this at this moment that we're having in our in our in our history, this sort of the, the crisis of of faith and, and politics. I'm, I'm interested to know what are you what are you reading right now? And the reason I'm asking this is you you had the, the piece earlier this week, the silent artillery of of time, where you quoted extensively from uh, a speech from Abraham Lincoln, which by the way I'd never seen before. There's something that he said when he was 28 years old back in 1838 where he's lamenting uh, the loss of memory of the American Revolution. I also noticed that you, you, you've you cited the Federalist Papers on occasion. So so, what exactly are you reading these days to put our times in context?
1: I have gone back to the founders a little bit and to Tocqueville and these other students of democracy and the, the weaknesses of democracy. <clears throat> one of the big myths of our time is that no one – it didn't occur to anyone until yesterday that democracy had its uh, – could could be problematic, that self-government could be hijacked by demagogues, that uh, not all policies would work perfectly, that you would lose track, you would forget, as Lincoln suggests in this youthful speech, uh, you know, the three generations after the revolution would lose that memory. And we have to reconstruct our attachment to the declaration and the constitution and to the principles of free government. You can't just depend, kind of coast on the memory of the revolution. That's really a, a very simplified form of Lincoln's complex speech. And I think we conservatives were coasting a little bit on the memories of Bill Buckley and Irving Kristol and Milton Friedman and many, many other people. And and it now needs to be kind of reconstructed in a much more thoroughgoing way. That was the analogy I drew with uh, Lincoln. It's about the same time from the Declaration to Lincoln as it is from Buckley's founding of National Review to us uh, today. This week, this past week, obviously, we had Lincoln's birthday and then Washington's birthday. I was actually out in Peoria, Illinois for a dinner that uh, the Creve Kerr Club there has had for 120 years. Pretty amazing, really, civic kind of custom. Honoring Washington's birthday, black tie dinner. I I tried to get out of wearing a black tie. I'm not a huge <laughs> black tie guy. And, you know, I had the uh, Speakers Bureau, which arranged it. To, so, I, so I said, well, they don't really need the speaker to be in black tie, right? Often these things are kind of more like black tie optional, you know, when people come in a black tie. But they understand if you're flying in from somewhere, you're not going to lug your black tie. <laughs> and I was told very politely, no, they really do like it. That would like everyone to be in black tie. And really everyone there was. So this is a big civic occasion, very, really quite moving in a way. I mean, uh, they've done it for all these years. All the leaders of the community were there, and you know, you get the impression that in a town like Peoria, which had its struggles, Caterpillar moved the uh, uh, world headquarters out of there a year ago. Like a lot of places in central mm-hmm. Illinois, there's a certain amount of you know decline of of manufacturing and and other such. I don't get the impression there's a lot of job growth and whatever. But a kind of real civic commitment to trying to make the place work and to make it better, uh, you get the impression that's happening locally and happening in some cases at the state level. And then when you talk to them, the the kind of sense that, well, what's wrong with Washington? I mean, that is the single question I got the most. And a lot of those people probably voted for Donald Trump. It was a Republicanish crowd, I would say. But they're not enthusiastic about what's happening on either side here in Washington. I can't say I blame them, of course. I I agree with them. Now, being there gave me hope in the sense that you got the impression the country is not Washington. The country is not Donald Trump versus the most fervent, you know, uh, the left-wingers who – who are, who are almost equally, uh, could be equally demagogic and uh, and uh, exploit people's passions and emotions. So I think the country is ready, I think, for
0: something a little better than they're getting from Washington. You know, it's interesting you say that, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm a Midwestern full-time here, but, you know, if you get your view of the country by, by reading Facebook or reading Twitter or, you know, following cable news, you, you get a sense of a country that's really at each other's throats, that is becoming coarser, you know, more more vulgar, more more tribal and yet you step back from that and meet real people in the real world i don't just mean the midwest and you're reminded by the fact that that reminded of the fact that most americans are fundamentally decent people that we are a good people and that there is a real yearning for those, you know, the, a, a politics of civility, of, of intelligent, uh, of, of intelligent debate and discussion that's not reflected in our politics today. So 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 maybe the successor to make America great again will be make America good again, that somehow you'll have this coalition of the decent. Or is that just naive?
1: Well, I think it's out there to be built. I think uh, the people there in Peoria sort of would like it to happen, but they also understand the limits of what they can do from their side. They need someone in Washington to step up. I I got that question a lot. Will people in either party step up against the extremes of both parties? One reason why in gun control, I think there are some deals to be done, if I can put it that way, some Mm -hmm. compromises to be reached to do some moderate things that uh, both sides, most people on both sides could live with. Same with immigration. And I've increasingly come to think it would be very good for the country if that happened, regardless almost <laughs> of the details, whether... Frankly, lives are saved or not. Uh, whether you know the immigration policies are the best or not, it would be very good for the country to see an actual piece of legislation pass with 70 votes in the Senate. To see a signing ceremony with Democrats and Republicans. To see that they're trying to do something in response to obvious problems, instead of just having bitter, bitter arguments, demonizing and denigrating each other, and then just moving on with a continuing resolution to keep the government open. So, I I, I do think that yeah, on the one hand, you go out to the Middle of America and you talk to community leaders and you get somewhat heartened. On the other hand, can they keep going the way they're going with a total failure of yeah. leadership from Washington? I think that's that's really a, a question
0: and and whether or not the the damage to the culture is is uh, is going to seep out into the rest of the country. Yeah, because so they're the ba- very ba-
1: aware they're very aware of that damage. I mean as yeah. many people one of the first questions I got I think in in the talk was well what about Facebook and the fake news problem and in the sense that I mean, they they see it around them people are being told things that aren't true and being, their, their emotions are being worked on. What could be done about that? It's obviously a very difficult problem. One of the things that has to be done is citizens have to, in a way, take more responsibility on their own of monitoring what they're getting as news. But um, corporations can do a lot, too, obviously, and government could probably do some. But uh, I think they're very aware of the danger to, you know, their, to the culture uh, you know, that we've been speaking about.
0: So go back to that question they asked you: Who who will step up in Washington? What, what was your answer? I, I, you know, people keep looking at Washington, and thinking, okay, there's going to be some voice of uh, common sense, of some reasonable pushback. Uh, who are there? Are there any names or are there people that you're looking at that you're hoping to provide some sort of leadership, some sort of the leadership of the coalition of the decent?
1: I think there are some impressive members of Congress, and in both parties, actually, some senior people, some people who might get elected, like a Mitt Romney, uh, some younger people. I focused in my answer out there; it's, I didn't want to get into you know, partisan politics or even particularly mention names that much. And, uh, on what I think will be a, a younger generation that's coming up, which I've actually been pretty hopeful about, and I remain hopeful about. I was one of the main worries I had about Trump was on the Republican side. Would he deter decent people from running for office? And he probably has in some cases. And he's probably encouraged some not so great people to run. And maybe those not so great people will win Republican primaries, influenced by the spirit of Trump. Think you know, think Roy Moore in in, in, in mm-hmm. Alabama. On the other hand, I'm struck how many people I meet. <sighs> Who have come back from serving in the military, perhaps, post 9-11, uh, young women who are sort of motivated to get into public life by looking at the spectacle of misbehavior in Congress and in, in, in corporations and elsewhere around America. Uh, others, business people who think, well, can't we just get to, you know, deal with the debt and some of these obvious problems? Um, and I and there are some impressive people so I, I guess I remain actually uh, somewhat hopeful that, that, that generationally we might be able to get beyond this uh, sort of the Trump Clinton was sort of an amazing race we ended up with the oldest presidential race in American <laughs> history n- n- individually they're not the oldest but together the two oldest candidates to run for president ever you know in a time when everyone's saying hey we need fresh thinking young people it's a changing world so maybe we finally will get beyond frankly our Baby Boom generation and get into uh, a generation that understands that we need some fresh thinking, but also attachment to 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 the principles of liberty, liberty, decency, dignity. Those things don't change. So can you combine the best thing? I said this out in Peoria. If you look at Washington, if you look at Lincoln, who gave a famous speech in Peoria, and one of the, one of the things most impressive about Lincoln is he's a he is very open to being to fresh thinking. As our circumstances Mm -hmm. are new, we must think anew and act anew, I think he says as president at one point. Uh, But he's also very much attached, of course, to the principles of the Declaration, to maintaining the Constitution, uh, and so forth. So can you combine that kind of fresh thinking, openness to what's new, dealing with globalization and technology and all these things, on the one hand, with a commitment to the principles
0: uh, of liberty and self-government? That's the challenge. Now, we, I probably should end on this hopeful note, <laughs> but earlier this morning, you, you, had a, you had a very interesting tweet. You said, I have contempt for Trump, Trumpism, CPAC, much of Fox News, nativism, bigotry, and conspiracy mongering. But perhaps I differ from some who share that contempt in my degree of alarm that something is contemptible doesn't mean it can't be powerful. Now, I read that as saying that a lot of people may be take it, hold it in contempt, but you're actually more alarmed than others. Yeah, and this is partly we, yeah. you and I saw each other in
1: Milwaukee a couple of yeah. weeks ago, and I think this was a theme of our conversation. And I think maybe we agree on this uh, a fair amount. I had been on Morning Joe. I had been on Morning Joe this morning and i mean joe scarborough made a sensible mm-hmm. enough point that trump was a president who lost the popular vote and he wasn't that he's not that popular and he, he thought it was he, the demographic of his of his base is shrinking and one or two other people you know echoed that and i, I was thinking about that driving driving back from the show they done, they did the show from dc this morning uh, driving up here to the office that that i thought more and i i said this a little bit on the show but i you know one can get uh, misled by one's dislike of trump or of trumpism aspects of it into thinking well of course they're not going to it's not going to succeed uh, but you know unfortunately things that are not always the healthiest or the most admirable do sometimes succeed and they can also change people's minds the fact mm-hmm. that young people for now don't like Trump and Trumpism. You know how settled are young people really in their views? They they're temp- They've obviously been they haven't had a great education on civic things. They're tempted by a lot of foolishness on the left from Sanders right now. Could they be tempted by foolishness on the right as well or if you even can use the term right anymore but by a sort of a version of Trumpism with a younger uh, a spear carrier. I'm not so sure, so sure that they're immune to this any more than older people are. Honestly, so I, I am more alarmed in a way by by not so much Trump personally, perhaps, but by Trumpism and its appeal. What if we have a recession? You know, what if people really right. do feel that, geez, the elites have just failed in so many ways, or something goes wrong in the world? So. Uh, I, I am
0: I am somewhat alarmed, yeah. well, and and also you have to recognize that uh, the donald trump is 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 a symptom rather than simply a cause that there was a that this dysfunction is a pre-existing condition in the electorate as a whole in the conservative movement, and all of those things um, are going to be there after Donald Trump leaves the stage. Uh, and, and you're right. There, there's something about the the dumbed down nature of our discourse, of our of our culture that we're going to have to confront at at some point, that it, we just can't continue in this way. But but also those norms are being changed on a regular basis. And again, you know, going back to where we started, you watch CPAC uh, today and you see how the conservative movement has been transformed in a very, very short period of, of time. And I think that leaves a mark that leaves a mark long term.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with that. And one final point I'd make, um, and you and I have discussed this before too. You look at the Broward County Sheriff's Office and you say, you know, our institutions need to be challenged and reformed. Yeah. The, the notion isn't isn't wrong that the the a lot of things have gotten insulated from from criticism from 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 uh, exposure. Uh there's a lot that needs to be changed. This was the spirit of reform conservatism two or three years ago. It was the spirit of some attempts on on the left to, to, to push reforms. Uh, that's all kind of stalled out in a way in a climate of Trump and Wayne LaPierre and Bernie Sanders. Uh, but we do need to – we we can't just reject Trump and then say everything's fine because obviously you look at the uh, – what is going on there in the sheriff's office and, and, and shouldn't yeah. shouldn't some politician run on a reform agenda down in Florida to fix that kind of thing? It's terrible what happened obviously. And um, – you know, so so reform, yes,
0: but but Trumpism, no. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining me on this Friday. I hope we can do this on a uh, semi-regular basis um, because I know that a lot of listeners really like your the uh, Friday conversations with Bill Crystal. Well, so it's nice of you obviously, to
1: say, nice of you to say, Charlie, and I, I'm happy to do it. Whatever we can uh, make it work technically, so that's I've really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to the Daily Standard podcast uh, on this Friday. I'm Charlie Sykes, and we will be back next week.